0: I'll tell you right off the bat this morning, you're in for a really uh, good rest of the morning. You're in for a treat. We're going to hear stories of, of four different people in our church and, and hear their testimonies. It's been a good weekend for, for me. This weekend, our leadership team, uh, every year we do this. We do an elder retreat, so we all, all of us get together with our wives, and, and, and we just brainstorm. And, and, and we pray about and think about our, our next year. As a Fairlawn Mennonite Church, and and out of that, we, we we develop some initiatives or some goals that we feel God is leading us to as a Fairlow Mennonite Church. And I just want to tell you, it's, it's a real privilege to serve with with an awesome leadership team, with, with guys and and that that love each other, that can say the hard things to each other, and and uh, that um, are on the same page. So it's been a, it was a good weekend for us. Continue to pray for us as. As a leadership team, as we move forward. This morning, we this last song we sang the words, um, "Through the storm, He is Lord," and that Christ alone is our cornerstone. I think sometimes we sing those words and we we don't think about what we're singing and and and. It's in the midst of the storm sometimes that, that we have to go through in order for us to, to really understand how loving our God is and, and how precious Jesus is, and that it is Christ alone that is our cornerstone. Yeah, this morning, there's a, there's a family in our church that is going through one of those really hard things. Maybe you know Ben Yoder, Ben and Ada Yoder. Uh, Ben was diagnosed about a year and a half ago with cancer, and uh, the family was informed this last week that, that Ben probably won't live until Christmas. So this morning, his family is celebrating Christmas together so that they can have one last Christmas together. And so I think it's important that as a church family that, 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 that we rally around and we pray for our brothers and sisters that are going through these um, tough seasons. And, 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 and think about Ben, pray for Ben as, 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 he, as he lays in bed and waits to meet Jesus. And I often wonder what that's like. Um, and so I want to take just a moment for us to pray for Ben and Ada, uh, for Dustin and Courtney and, and Kim and Jamie and the grandchildren as they really wait and, and do life with Ben these last couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, I want lift Ben and to you. I pray, Father, that you would comfort him, and you would surround them um, with your care. Just the way that that angels minister to Jesus in the wilderness, Lord, that that they would be ministering to Ben. Lord, he would sense more of you than he has ever sensed before. Lord, that you would give him a calming sense of your presence in these days. I pray for the family. I pray, Father, that you would give them strength and and uh, courage to walk through these days with Ben, and as a church family, that we would uh, pray for, encourage, love, and care for our brothers and our sisters who are hurting. So bless them today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning as I was sitting here. And I saw this this manger, the the stable, and the star, and it reminds us that that Christmas is coming. It reminds us that it's a time of year when we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so I, I look at that and I'm reminded that Jesus came. But then I look at I look at the 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 communion table and the communion table. And the celebration of the Lord's Supper together reminds us that not only did Jesus come to earth, but he also gave his life. And that he rose from the dead. And because of the fact that that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us, we have, and, and people like Ben have, have the hope that when we take our last breath, it's not the end. Just the beginning. And so today, as we, as we think about his coming and we celebrate his death and resurrection, today is a day of hope. And, and, and this morning, through the stories that you hear, as uh, Lexi Weaver and, uh, comes up and shares her story, and, and Wade Cleaver, and, um, and Betty Miller, and Mel and Stephan, they all have a story to tell. And each one of their stories is is different. Each one of them grew up in different homes and different environments, in different eras. You know, Lexi is a teenager figuring out life, who loves Jesus. and, And Wade is a young married man figuring out marriage and life, doing a good job at it. Betty is, is figuring out what grandparenting is like, and, and Malin, I think, is a great grandparent who has experienced a lot. Of, and yet the beauty of their differences is their similarity and the one who changed them. You see, what's the same about their story is the Jesus that came, the Jesus that died and was resurrected, is the one who changed them. And so in that, they're the same. And so I want you to sit back this morning. I want you to intently listen to their stories. And I want you to be blessed. And, and then I want us, as we end with their stories, we're going to share and celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a body of believers. So Lex, if you would come, I want to pray for you guys and we'll get you started. Father, I pray as Lexi comes that, that you would empower her, you would give her words to speak that would challenge us. And for Wade and Betty and for Malin, Lord, that they would inspire us and challenge us. And Father, we would leave here this morning and change. We thank you for their willingness to come and pray that their testimony would not just impact us, but would change others along the way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Hi, my name is Lexi. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am the daughter of Mark and Shelley Weaver. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Every Sunday, I'd wake up and go to church, along with every Wednesday night. Um, at this time, I was attending a small church in Millersburg. I didn't understand why we always had to go to church, but I just knew at the time that it was the right thing to do, also because my parents said so. Because Before I gave my life to Christ, I felt alone. I always felt like I didn't fit in, or that I was always in the way of everyone, especially at church, because I didn't really have many friends there. I was always quick to get angry with people, especially my brothers, and I felt that then that I was always the one getting in trouble. I wouldn't want to listen to my parents, which would just have more consequences. I then started to push people away and not want to tell anyone anything because I didn't think they would care. I was wrong though. I also tried to do things on my own, which never ended up working out. As I got older, I started to understand a little more. I decided then to give my life to Christ. This was the best decision I've ever made. In February of 2011, I decided to get baptized. For a while, everything was different and better. I felt like my life had had a new purpose, but slowly I started to feel the same old way. Once I got in middle school, I started attending Fairlawn and got involved in the youth group. Going from elementary school to middle school was a big change. There was a lot more people, which meant more pressure and bad influences. I started getting really busy with sports and schoolwork, and I started to drift away from God. As I started to drift away, I started not caring about whether I made it to church or not, which was not good. I started getting very angry with people again and blaming everyone else for what I did. I sometimes would question if God was actually there for me, and so I started trying to do things all on my own. I I couldn't understand Well, I was starting to feel this way again, but I knew I didn't want to feel that way. So I started looking to God for everything, making more time for him. I made sure I was always at church and also on Wednesday nights. This was good because I used to go to church only because I knew I had to, but I was finally going because I wanted to. I remember one time sitting in youth group and Keith asking us the question, do you guys know for sure you're going to heaven? It kind of took me by surprise because honestly, I didn't know for sure. I never really asked myself that question. This started to get me worried because what if I wasn't? It was a little while later, I was at my first I Am retreat. I was absolutely amazed. The last night during Cookies, Coffee, and God, I decided to rededicate my life to Christ. It was there for the first time that I knew for a fact I was going to heaven. This last summer, I went with our youth group to Chicago. This trip was one of the best weeks of my life. I grew so close to God. During our outreach, we went out sharing the gospel to people. This was really eye-opening because I had never really known what it was like to share my faith with strangers. There were some that were Christians already when we talked to them. Some were willing to at least listen, and others just didn't want to hear about God. When we came back and met with our youth group, we talked about all the different stories we had, and it was just amazing to see all that God had done that day. When I got back home, I really got to thinking about what I want to do with my life after I graduate. I didn't know then, and I still don't know now, but I do know that I... If I look to God, he will show me the way. So in our youth group, um, one of the Wednesdays, we always have two people share their testimonies. And at the end, we give a challenge to everyone that we might have been struggling with. And my challenge would be just to look to God for everything. Whenever we try to do things on our own, it never works out. God is always there to listen, but we also have to listen to what he's telling us. One of my favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven: For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Whenever I feel like my life is just a mess, I read that verse to remind myself God has a plan.
2: I don't know; it's more nerve-wracking. The first time I did this, my mom was here and heard it for the first time, but now it's my in-laws, so (laughs) they never heard this either. So, kind of (laughs) scary. All right. So, uh, my name's Wade Cleaver. from Wayne County originally, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, not to say my parents didn't believe in God. My mom believes, but uh, not so much my dad. Um, but they both come a very long way in their faith. Uh, my parents divorced when I was in second grade, so I don't remember really much of my life uh, with my parents together. Um, my mom divorced my dad because uh, my dad cheated on her, and it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was a lot throughout the relationship, and they were together for ten uh, plus years and, uh, my mom just kind of had enough of it, um, I can't remember when, but at some point after the divorce, my dad was an alcoholic, which I never realized until later on, um, he worked wherever he lived, which really half the time wasn't near us, sometimes Illinois, sometimes North Carolina, we just, uh, wherever he was at, um, my dad never paid any child support to my mom, so my mom had it pretty tough, I have two older sisters, so it was me and, uh, those two, so she had it pretty tough trying to feed us and clothe us, uh, she worked really hard to make sure we had uh, what we needed. But even more than that, uh, we always had more than really what we deserved. I mean, I remember some Christmases she said, oh, well, we we're going to only have one present this year, but I'd open, you know, 20. It was insane. But uh, uh, I thank God for her every day. So uh, we lived tight. I wouldn't say we were poor, but it was tight. Um, but I don't look back at my childhood and think of it as a time of sadness or pain. Um, uh, I think it was great for what I had, and I really cherish that uh, very closely. Um, so in 7th grade, uh, we had moved to Wayndale in 5th, when I was in 5th grade, and I went back to hang out with my buddies from Triway. And uh, after visiting for a while, we went out to the barn with a couple of our buddies, shooting hoops, playing, throwing the football around, and he asked me to go back in one of the barn stalls with him and, his, and this girl Eden. And uh, he asked me if I want to smoke weed with him. And uh, there are lessons in life that people that love you teach you you know, throughout your whole entire life. And I can remember at a very young age, my mom telling me, uh, one day you're going to have to make decisions between right and wrong. Uh. So I said no the first couple times, um, but eventually I gave in. Uh, Now, most people that do that the first time, they don't get high. Uh, It's not like that. But for me, it was different. I was was hooked instantly. And uh, so basically for the next seven years of my life, I chased highs like that. Um, just kind of did it when I went over there. Um, we were drink, started drinking a little bit on the weekends and stuff, but it really started picking up more than when I was toward the end of eighth grade, going into my freshman year, uh, in between there in the summertime. Uh, drinking every weekend. Uh, we were getting high, not just from smoking weed, though. I mean, we were doing other stuff, whatever we get our hands on. Um, pills, painkillers, whatever, whatever we could get. Um, whatever was available. Yeah. Uh, my freshman year, but that really getting to those other drugs really opened it up for me to get into heavier stuff and heavier stuff. And, uh, you can say what you want, but I know things are gateways. Um, my freshman year, we started getting, uh, heavier drugs. Uh, everyone started seeing us having fun and all the, all my friends, uh, and girls started coming around and that really opened up the door for acts of impurity. Uh, and, I mean, we knew how to have a good time. Uh, all my friends, they saw we were having a good times. They came around. Girls, alcohol, drugs, if I had it, you're my friend, you had it. Um, so the next couple of years of high school, I just continued to live this double life. My mom thought I was this good kid, and I wasn't. Uh, uh, not really caring about my choices or if I knew God. I thought Christians were stupid, honestly. Um, but it changed a bit when I met my wife, Rosa. Uh, she identified as a Christian, but I think at the time she was definitely dealing with her own battles. And, uh, I really liked her, and it was just a different feeling with her compared to what I had with other girls. Uh, I know it was something, but it didn't really change the way I was living my life. Um, uh, Rosa knew what I was up to, but she didn't really know the extent of it, um, that I was into these, you know, heavy drugs. So basically high school was a blur for me, um. I partied hard and just wanted to have fun, and those four years came and went, same old, same old. Uh, I managed to graduate barely. I think my teachers really wanted me out there. I almost failed art class, so that gives you any idea of what I was like as a student. Uh, A little before prom senior year, uh, we were really messing with heavy drugs. I was having issues with, like, cocaine, and, uh, you know, it was my choice to get into it, and I didn't tell anybody because, you know, cocaine's like... That's up there, that's a bad drug. And that's what junkies did. I didn't want to be a junkie. Uh, so I didn't say anything to anybody, none of my friends or anything. Uh, this was At this point, I was a little, a little over a year removed from school, working out of yet, just trying to get by. Um, a little backstory, what I'm about to tell you, my friend Holden, uh, one of my great friends to this day, actually started out as my drug dealer. Um, but we're great friends today, it's kind of odd, but uh, we have a great relationship. Uh, I went over there after I had made some tips at the dairy, and I was out. I wanted some, some more, and uh, he basically, we got in this huge argument, and uh, it's weird when a drug dealer uh, cuts you off from buying drugs from him. Um, it's not really something that happens, and that's the way I was looking at it at the time, but really what he was doing was, he was saving my life basically as a friend, you know, he's you know, I'd been doing it for a long, for almost a year at that point, and he was just, you know, he thought I was using way too much, and was afraid something was going to happen to me. So, uh, that drive home, I think about that constantly. I think about it all the time. Every time I struggle, I think about that drive home, and that is the loneliest feeling in the world. Uh, struggling with that all by yourself, and knowing that if the people you love ever found out about that, uh, how disappointed they would be in me. Uh, but looking back at that moment, there was a positive in it, and uh, that was my really first moment of clarity, um, contemplating my existence in this world, what am I doing here, uh, why, why am I where I'm at, and it really tears me up to think about it, but I know it's the first time God really laid his hand on me and uh, made me feel his presence. Um, so I quit, cold turkey right there, I was done. It was hard, but I did it, and I mean, it took a while, but I was done, that was hard stuff everything I stopped. Um, the next two years were the best years of my life up to that point. I was engaged to be married, uh, to my wonderful wife. <laughs> uh, I started looking more into why people thought God existed in the proof compared to the latter. Um, Rose at this point too had a fire burning in her heart and we were just burning each other on. I mean, just learning about the knowledge of all this and we were gaining, uh, we still struggle with impurity. Um, but we both kind of unconsciously at the time made a decision to be followers of God. Uh, I had other people helping me on this journey along the way, too. I can't ever, ever give my testimony and not talk about these people. Corey Gerber, even though he never shared the gospel with me in high school, he was always a super great example of uh, what it's like to live your life through Jesus Christ. And <laughs> I can't ever talk, not talk about him. Um, and one of our leaders here, another one of my good friends, Keith Byler, Uh, he met with me constantly, always praying for me, try to have God reveal himself to me, just, you know, open up to me, um, actually gave my life to Christ in Keith's little white Chevy car outside of Muddy Waters where we just ate lunch in downtown Worcester, and I'll never forget that conversation we had over that lunch, um, Keith talking about how God had laid these stepping stones, uh, stepping stones down in front of me so that I can one day help someone through the things that I went through, um. God didn't want me to suffer through that, but I had to live this example out I'd been reading about. Um, So not only can I just get people through these horrible times uh, that they're having in this imperfect world, but I can give them the greatest gift of all, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Where I'm at now, I still struggle. Um, I always will. It'll always be a struggle. Um, I always struggle to be a good brother to my sisters, a good son to my mom, a good husband to my uh, wife. I'll never be perfect, but I know if I trust in Jesus... He'll give me the strength and has given me the strength through this whole story um, to get through things and be a better person. Um, so I do have a challenge for you, like Lexi. My um, challenge to all of you is to have faith and don't be selfish. Uh, first, have faith that whatever God is putting you through, there's a reason for it. And maybe with the knowledge that you, have, that you gain in that struggle, you can help someone get through the same thing. And second, tell people about the gospel. Don't keep that, don't keep that hidden from people. Uh, Jeff Poland had an awesome... Uh, example at the I Am retreat, talking about this little the guy that had a Lambo in his garage and he never showed it to anybody, he never let everyone sit in it. I mean, that's what we have. We have this awesome gospel that we can uh, share with people and just tell people, about it. it's our duty as Christians. But more than that, we should want everyone to have this amazing gift that uh, God has given us. Thank you.
3: It's quite a testimony to follow up on. Thanks Wade. My name is Betty Miller and I am married to Ed Miller. We have two children Kara and Jaren and a son-in-law Ian Smith, a granddaughter Raylan and two more twin boys on the way. So we're excited about that. I grew up in Fredericksburg and I came from a pretty big family, a family of eight. There was five girls and three boys and I was second to the oldest. I was Amish until I was six years old, but I don't remember too much about that, except that my dad was an alcoholic and was always in trouble with the church because he didn't want to obey the rules, so I didn't like going. One day he came home with a car, and that was a final draw. The church excommunicated him from his membership. That's when we started going to a beachy Mennonite church. It seemed pretty close to Amish to me but we had a car instead of a horse and buggy to get there at this point my dad was drinking more and that's where his money went so there was a lot of it was pretty tough around the house because there was a lot of arguing about money and drinking and alcohol but um, my dad later became sober and lived the rest of his life as a recovering alcoholic and I praise God for that that was I couldn't remember the exact years I think it's close to 35 years so that was great There was a wall hanging in our home, and it was Romans 8.28. It said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And during that time, I claimed that verse, and still today, I claim that verse. I always thought that my mom tried hard to teach us about God. We had a big Bible story book, and she read stories from it. We later went to church in Benton, and here I remember going to Sunday school and Bible school, and started to memorize scripture and learn to read the Bible on my own. The Sunday school teachers there had a big impact on my life. When I was old enough to be in the youth group is where my personal journey with the Lord started. I was saved when I was 13 and then baptized and I have followed Jesus since that time. There were certain times that I was on fire for God and certain times when I have slacked and I found that if I'm not growing I'm going backwards. But overall, I have lived my life for Jesus. Later in my youth group years is where I met Ed. He was the kindest person I had ever met. I didn't have my driver's license, and my parents weren't willing to take me to to the extra church activities. They took me Sunday mornings, but as far as Wednesday nights or um, social activities or anything else, they didn't feel like that was something that I needed to be at. So Ed would pick me up. He just lived down the street from me, so that was convenient. And he quickly became one of my best friends, which later turned into us dating and eventually getting married. And I was 16 years old when um, my little brother John one morning was waiting for the school bus. And as he was waiting for the bus, he said that um, the heavens opened up and Jesus was standing there, had his hands reached out to him, and he told him to come. And he said behind him was this beautiful place. He thinks it was heaven, and he wants to go there. And he couldn't even wait for the bus there. He had to run in and tell my mom about this because he was so excited. So he went in and told my mom, and this scared my mom. So she asked us three older girls, you guys have to protect John watch out for him so we did for the next couple weeks we watched every move he made Um, three months later we were crossing over state route 30 and we pulled out in front of another car and he was ejected from the car and was killed and that is basically where a big turning point in my life where I knew that heaven was real and God was real and that really spoke to me Ed and I got married 31 years ago, and he's the biggest reason that following God and living for him has been easy. He is a genuine example of what a godly man looks like and lives out. The way he treated his family and the way he treated others was a true picture of loving others like Christ loved us. There's no gray area for Ed when it comes to doing the right thing. This taught me mountains about the love of Christ, and I wanted to dig in and learn more about his love. We were very active with Jaren and Karen in the community and in the schools and their activities. We volunteered at the school, the PTO and their sporting events, in the church, in the community. It seemed like our entire lives were centered around our children. Our home was always an open door for their friends and it was filled lots of times. These were great times and I loved every minute of it. After pouring what seemed like my entire life into my children, all of a sudden, Kara graduated from high school and told us that she was going to go to YWAM. The first trip she took overseas was nerve-wracking for me. And if any of you were here at her commissioning service when she left, I was not a very good support to her. I just cried. I didn't want her going. The first time that she left the country, I stayed up most of the night watching a flight tracker on the internet to make sure that she would get to that other country safely. It didn't do me a bit of good, but make me worry. Now I can say that I just tell them, text me when you get there. So I've come a long way, and God is faithful. I was excited for her to do a DTS and come back to Ohio where her family was. She was my girl, my only girl, and I loved doing things with her. Well, that didn't happen. She went to the secondary school, which was good, and after that, God called her out to be a missionary, and I thought I had lost her forever. I got upset with God, and at that time, asking him why would he call my only daughter I have into missions to to serve in another country. I struggled with this issue for a long time. After lots of reading and prayer, through this time in my life, the light bulb went off. God spoke to me. I gave her over to God, which I should have done a long time before that, a lot less worry. And I received a piece about her being into missions and actually got excited about it. When people would ask me where Kara went to college, at first I would try to figure out what I could say. And then, but later on, after I received this piece, I was happy to say, oh, she's in missions. But she's now living back in Apple Creek again um, after eight years with her husband and Raylan, and so we are enjoying that. At This point, Jaron was now in high school, and he was a sports fanatic. So we followed him in his activities. God was in his life, but he was definitely secondary. After the way that I saw Kara grow to love the Lord in her DTS, I wanted the same thing for Jaron, but he had no interest whatsoever. I continued to pray, and several years later, there was a secondary school offered at YWAM one week, and we persuaded Jaron to go there, and he went for that one week. And during that week that he was there, He saw the love of Jesus, and God got a hold of his heart, and he knew at that point that he wanted to do the same thing and wanted to be into missions. Seeing the passion that my children had to advance the gospel challenged me to do better. I didn't want them to show me up, even though they already did. So I got passionate about sharing Jesus every opportunity that I have. Ed and I are best friends, and we love spending time together. Now that we have raised our children... We work well together, and we make a great team. A few years back, we went through a sermon series. This is my challenge to you. On the book of Acts, and Pastor Duane asked some difficult questions that I had to make changes in my life on. He said that followers of Jesus are committed to, then he said, studying the word, fellowship, willingly generous, authentic worshiper, evangelical, and prayerful. And he said, "Is this who you are?" And I'm like, "That's who I wanted to be." So I made some changes in my life, and God is number one in my life now, and I'm so thankful for that challenge that I was given that I could just take a step back and realize where, where I was in that. The power of the gospel is real. Romans 1:16 says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel." Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. My prayer to you is, too, that, fo- that my prayer is that I will follow the calling that God has placed on my life and continually seek Him for my guidance. And one of my favorite verses that I want to share with you is Psalms 37:5: "Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust Him and He will help you."
4: My name is Malin Stefan. I come from a family of nine children. I was a middle child. We grew up in a farm. We had everything there. We had horses, we had cows, we had pigs, we had chickens, we had a big garden. We had lots of acreage to grow the crops, to feed all these animals. And there was something for all of us to do. And my father, having grown up as a, in a sense, an orphan, not really, he lived with his mother, but, and, and then they were raised in my uncle's um, home, had, didn't have the, uh, the, what's the word I want to use, he didn't have the experience of having a father showing him how to do things, but he had an uncle that cared. And... Uh, so he became, my, my dad then became the father of, of nine children, which was quite different from him growing up with just a brother. So it was different in that respect. And as I reflect now on, you know, my, back on my 76 years, I could go into all kinds of details. I'm not going to cover a lot of that stuff. I'm going to talk about my conversion experience. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, a character in the Bible that, that um, recently made me think about uh, the trials that he went through and, and just the difficulty of, of that life. But let, me, let me start with my childhood. I mentioned the, the farm, what we had there. Remember that we were many. Dad was a good teacher and a good delegator. Chores were given to us, as Dad saw us capable to follow through. In my early teens, I became the primary milker at the farm. And as I think about it, I said this about Dad not really having had a teacher, yet he was able to to keep um, five boys and four girls busy. During this time, my parents were heavily invested in Christian education, which of course included church, but uh, a, pro- a private school, the Sonnenberg School was built. And that's where I and Jean went to school until we were 10th graders. And then from there, uh, we ended up as, as uh, our high school at Eastern Mennonite High School, which it goes clear back to 1959 and 58. My, my graduating class was 58 my graduating, Gene's class was 59. And it was during that time that we, I went one way and Jean stayed here. And I think it was that time that away from each other that made us realize that we kind of had a little something special going ever since grade school. And it's kind of fun to think about that. I had some friends, Jean had some friends that would, uh, would, uh, write notes that she was supposed to give me and stuff like that. I wanted to say more about the, the, the reason for the school. And maybe it has something to do with what the Amish do now, and that is to keep people, keep their young people away from from the consolidated schools when Waynedale and when Dalton Uh, consolidated I had an uncle that was very very strong believer in protecting our young people from the influence of of those consolidated schools and so we were raised in that kind of a sheltered uh, life. Um, Ours was a happy family mostly there were times of sadness these seemingly were times when the family pulled together During Going to the next phase of my life, or the next part that I want to explain to you, was our my conversion experience. In the 1950s, the Mennonite Church began what they called tent meetings. Prominent ministers, and the one I'm thinking about right now was George Brunk. He was a powerful preacher. The purpose of the three to six weeks in a tent out in a field was to... Um, For renewal and revival and also the opportunity for new commitments to be made. I fell into that latter group of people that made our first time commitment. Night after night, the invitation was given and often it was just as I am without one plea. There was no question in my In my 11-year-old body, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and so I suffer through the day and then go back at night again and hear hear it again. Finally, I stepped out on that sawdust trail, which you maybe remember hearing songs about, where there was revivals and uh, people would the Holy Spirit would move people's lives, and they would they would find that trail down to the front. I did that. When we came to the front, we were ushered into what they call the prayer room. And there was counselors there to counsel with us and to find out, you know, where we were. They present the, the claims of Christ. They would pray for us. And then we were given the opportunity, and I took that opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer, asking God to forgive me and to take me. And it was at that time that I invited Jesus into my heart. The very next thing that happened was that as soon as we were done, the counselor said, you have an opportunity to come up front and give your testimony, 11 years old. So there I was. (laughs) The Holy Spirit you know, I wasn't afraid at that point. I had made that commitment. I don't know what I said, but I did it. And uh, I think it's, it's, there's something to be said about doing it in front of people and uh, proclaiming yourself as one of his. And so that's, that's how that, that happened for me. As a new and a young believer, I felt a need to earn God's continual love by doing good. It was just only to realize later that we can never do enough good to earn our forgiveness and salvation. My teen years had, hap- had happenings that made me examine my commitment repeatedly. There were trials and uh, there were fears that came into my life. A bad accident. A father who who uh, was stricken with polio, and we didn't know what, there was no uh, vaccines for that at that time. As I reflect on various experiences and disappointments, I I now see these as stepping stones. God prepared me for more and bigger things. As a side note, I must tell you about this cute little neighbor girl that I saw. She was known as Jeannie. Later on, she grew up. She became Jean. She's now my wife. We've been married 55 years. And it was was an interesting, and I uh, just alluded to that a little bit earlier, but I must add this so that she can defend herself if she wants it. I used to tell people, that she pursued me until I wore down and gave in. I will now no longer tell that lie. <laughs> We've had 55 years together and we thank God for that. There, are, there were many things along the way, uh, but I, I think I portrayed our family as a very stable, um, solid in the community kind of family. And I thank God for that. And so, the challenge that I want to leave with you folks today is that there are stories in the Bible about people who have been faithful. Uh, and I think of the story of Joseph how that he was taken away from privilege by half brothers that hated his guts. And they, he was sold into a foreign land where, where uh, he didn't know anybody, didn't know the language. There was nobody there to teach him anymore about God, and yet God was with him through that whole time. The temptation of Potiphar's wife, uh, the the prison he experienced because of falsely being accused, um, and yet repeatedly God would bring him up through, um, because somehow or other, God had a way of working even in the heart of Potiphar. I think Potiphar knew that he was a better man than than maybe most of the people did. I I like to believe that. You know the story about Joseph. He went from having everything to having nothing and how that he rose to prominence, second in command in the life in, in, in Egypt and when his brothers came for food, they didn't know him, but he knew them. And it's a story that uh, uh, it just it just uh, blows me away to think of how he was able to to be forgiving and to uh, live the kind of a life of faithfulness that then he was able to reconcile with his with his own brothers. In Genesis, and I I will skip some of the, you you can find that story yourself, but there was opportunity that came to his life uh, because of his faithfulness, and that's the point that I want to make. I grew up with all the protections around me, and I'm not sure, I'm quite sure I wasn't, I'm sure I was not the man that Joseph was. In the end, Genesis 520 says uh, uh, let me read this uh, Joseph told his brothers as as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it it is today this is an amazing perspective of a man who embraced the living God and trusted him completely. And like I said, he did not have a community of faith such as we have here, yet he trusted the living God completely. And I've decided I'd like to be a Joseph. Thank you.
5: Alexi, Betty, uh, Wade, Malin, thank you all for being willing to share your stories with us this morning. Um, I can say uh, for myself that it is a it is a blessing to see and hear the stories of God's people and the way that Jesus has transformed and changed their lives. Um, but one thing that we have to keep in front of our minds as we hear these stories is that Not a single one of these men and women would be up here giving this story today if it weren't for the broken body of Jesus and his spilled blood on the cross. Uh, That's the focal point of these stories. That's why they're being told, and and without that, um, they wouldn't have these stories. Uh, And so naturally, we thought it would be good to come to uh, the Lord's table this morning in celebration of their stories in celebration of our own personal stories um, and in celebration of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 25, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we have the two elements sitting here before us. We have the, the bread, and, and when we see the bread, we understand that it symbolizes and represents Jesus' body that was given for us on the cross and so when we come and we partake of the bread our minds should be drawn to remember that sacrifice and to celebrate and give thanks for it likewise he took the cup and the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross and so as we come and we see and we receive that element we, we ought to understand that it symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins Indeed, that it was necessary for his blood to be shed for us to be saved. And that is a deeply personal thing. I'm sure all the believers in here have likely taken communion before. You know the personal aspect of communion, that Jesus died, shed his blood for you. I'm sure that we all know that and it's good for us to reflect on that and it's good for us to take that in and understand that it was indeed a personal sacrifice for us that Jesus gave. But what Paul actually talks about here is he actually talks uh, outside of these verses in the context about the communal aspect of communion and that when you come to the table, you don't come and commune with Jesus only, but you commune with your brothers and sisters in Christ that are walking up to do it with you. Um, And I think that we often miss that aspect of communion, that we are enjoying that as a body, as a family of believers, and not just as individual Christians. And this is really what Paul uh, Paul was rebuking the church in this passage, and he was saying, you're being selfish with communion. You are thinking only of yourself when you come to the table. You are neglecting the corporate body, family aspect Of the Lord's table. And he was rebuking them for that. And his final admonition was this in verse 33 So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for one another. Understand the purpose of communion, that it goes beyond your personal faith in Jesus. And so I would urge you, as you come to the table this morning, Um, by all means, analyze your life, repent of your sin, understand the personal uh, sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, reflect upon that. But after you've done that, I'd encourage you to lift up your head and to look at the brothers and sisters that are going before you and after you to the table. And I I pray that this would encourage your soul uh, that you are not alone in your faith, That Christianity isn't about an individual faith, but yet that we're brought into a corporate body. I hope that this will allow you to remind yourself of your responsibilities to your brothers and sisters in Christ, that we commune together and not simply as individuals. And lastly, that uh, this would allow you to spur, uh, that it would spur you on to live faithfully, not only as an individual Christian, but as a member of the body and family of God. We have three tables here at the front. Uh, the center table has gluten free bread on it. If you have a gluten intolerance, please come to the, to the middle table. Um, there's going to be some music playing in the background. We're going to give you guys uh, some time here to uh, reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, to repent of your sin, um, and then to come to the table when you're ready. Uh, you may come alone, you may come um, as a family, you may come in groups. Uh, but, but we ask specifically, if you're, if you're not a, a believer here this morning, if you don't have faith in Christ, um, because of this personal aspect of what we're doing here, um, it, it really requires faith in Jesus for you to partake in communion this morning. Um, and, and as I said already as well, you're not just communing with Jesus or saying that you are, but, but with other believers here. And so communion is for those who through faith have entered into a relationship with Jesus and with the other brothers and sisters here in the room. So we ask that uh, if you have not done that, that you refrain from taking the elements. Uh, but we are certainly glad that you're here and would love to, to talk to you more about this uh, after the service. Um, I'm going to begin a time of just silent uh, reflection and prayer um, as you do that personally. Father, bring our hearts to this table this morning, to this meal, with gratitude and with hearts that are filled with joy at what you have done for us. Give us an understanding of how it unites us, not only to Jesus, but to all those who are found in Jesus. Let our hearts be encouraged. I pray that you would nourish us uh, through communion this morning.